Welcome to the Connections Podcast, a podcast devoted to how Unitarian Universalists of San Mateo connect to our beloved community. I'm Jack Brennan, Connections at UUSM. Our guest today is David Kramer. David has been a member of UUSM since 2019. He has been part of the tech support for Sunday services as it has evolved from running the soundboard to virtual to hybrid. David serves on the COVID task force and he just started as a mentor for coming of age. David works as a construction executive. He is a planning commissioner for the city of Belmont. David is married and has two sons. For fun, he plays bass. Let me say that again. Uh, For fun, he plays bass in a garage band and podcasts lighthearted advice with his college roommate. Born in Chicago, raised on the mean streets of Potomac, Maryland. BSE from Duke, where he met his wife, Maria, uh, during their freshman year. MS in real estate development from NYU. Came to California in 1997 for his wife to do a fellowship in transplant surgery at Stanford. David, welcome to the Connections podcast. I've been looking forward to sitting down with you because our conversations have mostly been three or four sentences on Sunday mornings when we're both pretty busy. Until I was gathering information for your introduction, I didn't realize that you joined UUSM just a year before COVID. I guess you've been to more Zoom services than in-person services, right? Uh, Which do you like better? Uh, Definitely in-person. Zoom was a challenge. I like a challenge, but definitely in-person. All right. Do you think Zoom's with us for good, though? We'll see. Um, it's, we talked about it a lot when we switched over to doing Zoom and how it would affect the future of worship here. And there's so many upsides to keeping the hybrid so that people who are ill or just traveling or unavailable can still stay connected to us, that we committed to making it work. So be interested to hear your opinion on whether it is worth keeping up with because it is a challenge. Right. So from my end, I think it's definitely worth it because I don't do any of the challenging stuff of it. You know, so it seems very worth it to me. Uh, of course, for a while. Is it amazing how podcasts draw leak blowers? <laughs> it really is. I've never had that particular thing happen, but we'll power through. (laughs) Um, But I was going to say that when I, um, do you want to wait? Let's give him a minute. Okay. He's wearing hearing protection. That's always a good sign. (laughs) Could be worse to be having a job interview. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) The, uh. I don't think he'll be much longer since he's just like right outside our window right now. How many leaves could we have out there? Okay, we took a break for the leaf blower. We hope it's better now. Um, When I first started attending services, I lived in Houston. So all of my services were Zoom services until I got from January till 
the end of March. That yard is going to be really clean. <laughs> Not a leaf in sight when he's done. Um, and I, of course, loved the Zoom experience. And there were parts of it that I missed when I came in person. Which parts did you miss? I, like I missed the chat box. I missed being able to compliment people when they did things and, you know, just the way that people would be like, that was wonderful, Paul, or whatever it is, you know, like I missed just the back and forth of that um, and being able to message individual people during the service. I missed that and I missed the chat rooms uh, that we did at the end too because that was a way we don't have a way to really do that in person to say, I know you're all talking to someone. Now we're going to switch you to someone else, you know, but it was, it was good to have that, you know. That's true. I was thinking about that just recently because I haven't been in a chat room in a while because usually I'm, I'm rolling up cables or something during that time. And you did make new connections that way. You got locked yes. in a room with four or five people, sometimes just one other person, mm -hmm. and nobody's capable of being in a Zoom room with one other person without asking some questions and learning some stuff. And I think we all try to do that here, particularly the radical hospitality, but it's not the same as somebody grabbing you and putting you face to face. Right. Um, so that's true. And I was saying, because we only have 20 or 30 people online, and so they're probably the same people talking to each other. So, once things settle down, not to get ahead of ourselves, but once the construction slows down, I would like to set it up so there is a chat room here where people can wander in with a cup of coffee and talk to people in in the uh, Brady Bunch squares, and you would just be another square. I love that idea. Yeah. I love that idea. And, uh, you know, when the seven minutes are up or whatever, we right. grab two other people and have them go in there and say, go talk. Because we'll, what I think we're going to see is, you know, we are, a good community will be an aging community. Yes. And people won't physically be able to come to church. So they'll be able to go to church possibly for years longer than they would previously. Yes. And we want them to interact with people. That would be a big advantage. How big is our yard here? How many it is so small, <laughs> and there aren't many trees. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> um, this will be our first leaf blower uh, podcast that we've done. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is to that, but I love the idea of that chat room where you go to be on Zoom with people who are already on Zoom. I just think that's a great idea. We do get visitors who visit us first on Zoom. Uh, so I, you know, I talk to people every week who have only visited on Zoom and haven't come in person yet. So yeah, I think it's great, again, from the connections point of view, I've been striving to make sure that it is a meeting, not a webcast, right? right. That it's many to many, that or at least the opportunity of it, not one to many. We have YouTube or whatever to do that, which is fine. It's great, but that's a different thing. It's, and it's in my mind, not what church is for. Church is for us to talk to each other 
and right. we're drawn there to listen to somebody talk to us for an hour. But the, the power is us singing, in my case badly, but that doesn't matter, us singing and us talking to each other. So, um, yeah, I'm going to keep advocating for that. We can talk about details later because I, I know good. you're an expert on such things. No, I love that. Um, tell me about your family, whatever that word means to you. Well, going in chronological order, I was born to parents who were both New Yorkers. Um, I have an older sister, uh, two years older than me. She was born in New York as well, which I guess kind of makes her a New Yorker. She didn't grow up there. Um, but we moved for my father's job and worked. Uh, he worked in the D.C. area for a long time. He was also in construction. Um, my mother comes from a Jewish background and my father from some kind of waspy background, but they're both more than one generation away from really practicing. Um, my mom was raised in the ethical society in New York, which I think is quite comparable to few views, except it's got a Jewish background instead of a Christian one. Um, and uh, my father was nothing. His, uh, his father converted to uh, LDS, became a Mormon after my grandmother died uh, because that was the only a religious person they knew was a missionary they used to entertain when he was 18 years old. He never had any success with them when they were, um, but uh, that's who they called to do the uh, eulogy. And so he converted after he was a widower converted my grandmother after she was dead, got married in perpetuity, which didn't go over very well with my father. He, didn't, he, he thought uh, the contract was till death do us part, and she was probably happy to get out of it. My grandfather was a difficult personality. <laughs> so th not a lot of religion. Um, um, so that was that family. Uh, very, both parents went to college, so I went to college. Uh, one parent was Republican, one was Democrat, so I'm all over the spectrum on that one. Um, and uh, so I went to college at Duke, met my wife there. Uh, we didn't get married while we were an undergraduate. We got married nine years after we met, five years after we graduated. And then we didn't have kids for another 10, 11 years. So that's my real family, my wife and my two boys. Uh, I believe you met William, my older son. Uh, my younger son, Lucas, um, isn't, doesn't attend here very often except to come see his brother Singer or something like that. Uh, they're 18 and 20. It's my older son's birthday yesterday. I have a 20-year-old son, which is odd, but good. <laughs> so we're here for it. Uh, and that's my family. So I've got two Californians for kids. Yeah. I saw in your bio that you are a planning commissioner. What's involved with being a planning commissioner and what skills have you discovered uh, or honed in that position? Um, so planning commissioners, at least in California, uh, were appointed by the city council. Um, it's an application process. A lot of people applied. Um, 
and what's involved, it's a lot. I'm trying to remember the proper word, but uh, we are basically overseeing staff to make sure things are done appropriately and making sure that the public has the opportunity to comment on all of these things. And it is, I, I hate to say it's like a judge because it's the same concept, but orders of magnitude less. Um, so we're overseeing the process and making determinations. Uh, so there was a lot of complicating things to it that surprised me. Um, when I showed up to find out I was a city official and I had to take an oath to uphold the constitutions of the United States and the state of California. I don't have a problem with it, I was just surprised. Um, I thought I was just gonna look at, you know, pictures of houses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're subject to the Brown Act, which means uh, you can't have anything close to a quorum of uh, commissioners talk outside of a public meeting, uh, mm -hmm. including you can't have a serial email, uh, which becomes interesting because when I first walked in here, I saw Tom McCune, who you know, running the soundboard. Tom McCune was planning commissioner at the time. So like, oh, if another planning commissioner shows up, we can't talk to each other. It'd be a violation of state law. Um, but And the law is you can't talk to each other at all? Like, not just like, how about those giants? Or did you see the 49ers game? Or like, you can't, no words can pass between you? Um, you can't discuss things that could come before you. Of course. So, I don't know. That's okay. a good question. Um, uh, but you definitely can't, I can't send an email to Tom saying, hey, isn't that house ugly up on 3rd Street? And he sent it to the next person. Right. Um, so, I tend to err on the side of caution um, because it's hard not to talk about stuff that's before you because that's what you have in common. Um, and what is it? You can't have a conflict or the appearance of a conflict. So if you're Joe homeowner and your house is getting rejected and you see me and two other commissioners having coffee talking about the 49ers, you might think we're colluding to keep you from preventing you from building your 7,500 square foot pink house on a thousand square foot lot. That is for sure what you'd be talking about. <laughs> be really hard not to talk about that, wouldn't it? Um, so uh, that's what it is. You, you have to know the rules, and uh, we're lucky. We have a really good staff. A lot of effort into, went into it before I got there to probably at the pressure of the state, but to make the rules objective rather than subjective. So if you come to me with your pink house, I have a reason why I can tell you you can't build a pink house. And if one of those things doesn't apply, you get to build your pink house. Um, so there's in some ways not as much to it you just have to follow the rules and if you don't like the rules too bad I don't, you don't even have if i was on the city council you have some influence in changing the rules but as a planning commissioner you're just a citizen so i, I enjoy it the hard part for me is all the meetings are public and they're broadcast and minutes are taken and uh the video is recorded and available, so making stupid jokes, particularly ones that are um, not necessarily sarcastic, but the opposite of what you mean, you can't do that. Right. So I try and write them down so I don't say them aloud. 
<laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, sarcasm uh, doesn't age well, uh, in particular when it's just read later. You know, it, yeah. Yeah, you're an attorney, so uh, yeah. <laughs> when you read that back without the inflection, uh, it's the opposite of what the person was trying to right. say. <laughs> I always uh, tell people that in their emails, they need to put things in their emails thinking about them being read aloud in a deposition in 10 years, you know, because that happens. So. Oh, yeah, <laughs> possibly by somebody who wants to produce a different effect. Exactly. Um, so how long have you been the planning commissioner, a planning commissioner? Uh, 2018, on my second three-year term. 2017 or 2018? But it's back in 2018. So three-year terms. Mm -hmm. And the entire council votes to extend your term mm -hmm. each time? Or? You have to reapply. Oh, you have to reapply. Get interviewed again. Huh. So. And do you intend to? Do you like it? Uh, yeah, I, that's the plan. I'm currently the chair, so I get to lead the set, uh, Pledge of Allegiance and all that good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, we'll right. out. <laughs> uh, we just got back to doing live meetings, so I, I try and be welcoming to the two or three people who show up. Yeah. Uh, but Zoom has let us have a lot more public participation. Um, yeah. Definitely. Would you share with our listeners uh, how and when you became part of Unitarian Universalists of San Mateo? So I started coming here in summer of 2018. Um, my son William was in high school at the time, um, and he had gotten involved with a church youth group with a friend of his, which he really liked. Um, and I, in fact, we'd gone to visit that church that he was associated with, which was wonderful people, um, kind of a... a fundamentalist church nearby and went to the services and the singing was great and the people were nice and I was prepared to join there I can I can sing songs that I, I don't believe the words in I you know, um, sing Bruce Springsteen songs without believing the words but um, I asked him if he was interested and the Jesus stuff was not really interesting to him and that's fundamental to fundamentalism. Uh, so we started looking for other churches. Uh, a friend of mine from high school was a Unitarian and he had recommended it. Um, so we went to UUFRC and then, and the next Sunday came here to UU San Mateo. Um, liked them both, both very different. And I asked William, which one did you like better? And he said, they were different. So I made the decision. Um, and started coming here. Um, yeah, at the time, both, I think both were being lay led because it was August. Um, but UUFRC didn't have their minister at the time and an interim mm -hmm. minister. Oh, actually I never met. Um, but pick this one. And tell me how you first knew that you belonged at UU San Mateo? That's a, you gave me the questions in advance. I appreciate that. That's the toughest one because to some extent, I'm still not sure. 
Um, I feel a little fish out of watery in, in a church. Um, everybody's nice and welcoming. Um, so I'm getting there. Uh, I really enjoyed, started to feel a part of it when I got involved with the Decentering Whiteness group. Pam Gerke led it off to begin and then Kathy Kinner was driving it. And that was a much smaller group. People came in and out of it. Um, but that's where I started thinking this morning about the many to many. Um, so I got a little deeper and people listened to my goofy ideas and gave me feedback on them. And, you know, it was, uh, it was really good. Um, that was, that was the first step, I think. I like that story. How did uh, how did it happen that you came to become the go-to tech guru here? Did that predate COVID or was it as a result of COVID? It's got to be as a result. Um, you remember March 2020 came up on us pretty suddenly. Um, and you know, I I'd, I'd started running the soundboard because um, I wanted to do something to serve, right? Time and treasure is what we're supposed to contribute. Right. Um, and that looked interesting to me. I wanted to learn it. Look all those buttons. Levers get pushed. And and Tom McCune taught me that. Um, and there was a couple other guys. Edder was very active in that. Um, but when we had to go virtual. Uh, Charles Dumond stepped in and made it happen. And when YouTube failed, he switched to Zoom, I think that morning. Um, and uh, I offered, I, I tried to step in to help because he was doing everything. He was also leading services and connecting things. And, um, and he sort of passed it off to me and a couple other people. A couple other people might have dropped by the wayside. And Charles, as you know, was uh, co-chair of the national organization. So he was quite, quite busy. Um, so he was happy to, to, to let it go. Though when I got stuck, he always stepped in to help. He's a, he's a very giving person. Also very smart. You probably noticed that. Um, so that's how it happened. Just persistence. Had you heard of Zoom before March of 2020? I don't remember. That's an interesting question. Certainly wasn't as um, pervasive. Yes, I had heard of it. We had switched to Zoom for our the company I was working for at the time for all of our um, communications. We had the phones going through it, switching, switching to that. But it certainly hadn't. Until we had to, nobody was doing it. I mean, Skype had been available for a long time. The Star Trek stuff has been available for many years. It just, it's awkward. Nobody wanted to make the investment. So what keeps you connected to UUSM now? Things like this. Um, I do like doing the tech and the sound. Um, it also lets me do my service at the same time I'm at service. Right. So it's very efficient. Feels to my laziness. 
<laughs> um, you know, definitely growing and learning. I was much, I was nearly as far up the path as your average you. You were as far as social justice when I got here. Um, but I'm, I'm further along now. Um, all of the seven principles sing to me and uh, this is the community I, I I don't actually believe in anything I have no faith but I do believe in singing and community and kindness and I think everybody here agrees on that probably hard to find people who would say they don't agree with that but I think they're top of mind here can can that be a faith? I mean, I don't believe in God, um, but I I say I have faith in this community. You know, I don't know. Um, Does the word bother you? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, faith implies believing something without proof, right? I think that's what faith means. Um, and yeah, and that bothers me. I think you should believe things because you have reason to think they're true. So I trust the people here mm. okay. and I, you can have trust without a cause. Right? Sure. It feeds on itself, but I, I don't think that makes it faith. I think, you know, um, but it's also very you you eat it argue about words <laughs> yes it is it's one of my favorite things <laughs> <laughs> i love arguing about words what are you most looking forward to in terms of the new sanctuary renovation i, I think the biggest thing would be accessibility i remember a discussion when we were first approving the plan and somebody mentioning like, boy, why are we spending so much money for accessibility? There just aren't that many people who are affected by it. <laughs> and I jumped in and said, I don't know about you, but I hope to be old someday. So we're all going to be affected by it. Uh, at one point, I think they were actually calling that like universal design, right? If you're going to build a bathroom, make it big enough for a wheelchair because Somebody's going to have a wheelchair. Um, <laughs> and not just wheelchair. I mean, that's part of what universal design is. It's not just for people in wheelchairs. It also helps if you're using a walker, and it helps if you have to take a stroller in the bathroom with your toddler. And, you know, that's, that's the idea of universal design is that it's not just for one kind of person with one kind of disability. Exactly. And frequently we're temporarily disabled. Yes. Break your ankle skiing. You're a world-class athlete. You still need a grab bar to use the toilet. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's exciting to me. Like I said, I hope I get to grow old. Um, uh, I remember in one of my real estate classes, the developer was complaining. This was 19, 89 or so so the ADA was pretty new and it was really hard on builders because we hadn't thought about this stuff before and he was complaining about making some of the rooms in his new hotel accessible 
and I suggested you should make them all accessible. And he said, that's ridiculous. I said, well, there's efficiencies because you buy one kind of door, one width door, you make everything stack. Because the challenge was that they lay out differently. So you're, you want all your plumbing to stack so you can have the, the drains, et cetera, go. And so I was making that argue for it. And he said, well, that's stupid. All your rooms will be too big. And I said, it's not stupid. You are oppressing what we would call prostitutes back then mm-hmm. who visit every house. You might be wearing a wheelchair. And uh, I got a laugh out of that, but it's still true because like handicapped hotel rooms are less desirable. So why don't we just make them all accessible and give up on having storage under the sink? I know that's hard, but uh, sorry, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. You might not know my connection to all that, but that's the kind of law I did in Texas was disability law and going out to buildings and um, doing accessibility surveys to see if they were accessible and you mentioning grab bars is one of my favorite stories because I went to this fast food restaurant and in the restroom they had grab bars it was an accessible restroom and they had grab bars but it was Christmas and they had wrapped tinsel around the grab bars making them inaccessible for anybody to actually grab you know they put lights and everything you know it's like very very festive in the bathroom but not very accessible anymore so yeah i have some ideas i want to make accessibility less obvious that's a make it more um aesthetic right so i'd like to build a magazine rack Mm -hmm. double that you put next to the toilet that also could serve is sturdy enough that you can use it as uh, a grab bar. Okay. Right? And I would, I plan to, and I haven't got around to yet because there's other people in my house who have to, but if you take, sorry, I'm looking around, which plays really well in a podcast, but um, <laughs> uh, what do you call it? A door handle, but mm-hmm. a fixed one like you put on a closet that doesn't operate anything. Right. And bolt it to the studs on either side of the bathtub. Right? Okay. And you use it as a curtain hook for the, uh, the shower curtain. Okay. But it's sturdy enough that it can take the weight of a grown person to climb in and out of the tub. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be a thing. It can match the other hardware. Right. Right? I like it. And you'd have to know. You'd have to explain it to people. Sure. But it doesn't have to be this like, oh, I'm an architect. I don't want that. Right. right? Which you don't get anymore. But No, you don't. <laughs> there's no reason much. it can't be pleasant looking right and um and if you could incorporate it instead of this idea of making apartments convertible right you could do it some things are less pleasant like um figuring out to get how to get a shower without a step over um a good solution right is to have the the shower drain and to have the drain in the middle of the and in Europe, you see that a lot, or you used to. I hated that because I mean, you track dirt in and like it. But your feet would get wet when you use the bathroom. <laughs> but I could probably get over it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That was a nice, unexpected discussion. <laughs> um, so, what are what are your hopes for the future of UUSM? Um, as a relative newbie. I, I don't have a whole lot of hopes. I'm pretty happy with the way it is. So I hope it keeps going. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't have any nagging problems with it. Um, it is, I, I do worry about it surviving. You know, I think I'm below the median age of members and I'm 58. Um, in fact, I was going to comment that I was going to be the youngest person you had interviewed for your podcast. And then you interviewed Sylvie, who's something 40 odd years younger than me, but <laughs> blew that out of the water. <laughs> but I'm still the most junior person because she's been a member for many years more than me. Right. That's <laughs> true. That's true. I shouldn't say most junior. At least senior. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I just hope we can keep trucking on. I think we will. I see people stepping in where there are vacancies. I think we will, too. I'm really excited about the number of new groups that are forming and the number of visitors that we're having. And, um, yeah, I see good, good signs. Yeah. yeah. And this is a challenging period. I mean, it was made clear to me that a church is not a building and a church is not a minister, but not to be too Zen, but eventually you can't take away everything. Right. <laughs> but we're working on all of those things. Yes, we are. Okay, we're going to wrap this up with a segment I call Quick Hitters. I'll ask you a quick question, and you can give me an answer that doesn't have to be quick. All right, are you ready? Ready. Okay, what's the best flavor of ice cream? Chocolate almond. Okay, what's the scariest animal? Hmm. Uh, The brown recluse spider that they always show you the pictures of when you take your first aid training. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's pretty scary. Uh, What kinds of things keep you up at night? Uh, Everything. Um, Everything's scarier in the middle of the night. And um, probably work things, but it could be other stuff too. What's the most used app on your phone? (laughs) Uh, It's actually, it's probably the news app, doom scrolling, but... Uh, well, no, I, I did check. I figured out how to do that. And uh, solitaire is the one that's most used by ours. <laughs> I have a habit of doing that while I'm watching television. Ah, uh, yep. Should probably watch more stuff with subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does force you out of that habit for sure. Uh, best movie of all time? Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Okay. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. All right. All right. Um, what are you reading right now? <laughs> Here's, uh, I am reading, I just, you told me that question and I had two books that where I, I had started and were sitting idly on the shelf. Uh, so I went back to read the better one, but, uh, and I'm halfway through it by a book called Why Buddhism is Right by, no, Why Buddhism is True by Robert Wright with a <laughs> W. Uh, and I highly recommend it. He's a evolutionary psychologist. So he talks about how evolution makes us unhappy and how the Buddha's solutions apply to fixing that problem. So, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. What's the best musical instrument? Not bass guitar. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Still or sparkling? Sparkling. Who was the first person you voted for in a U.S. presidential election? 
person who ran against Ronald Reagan was Walter Mondale. That's it. One time, yeah. <laughs> what is your go-to order at a Mexican restaurant? Uh, it is a salad with carnitas and everything on it. A little spicy, no cilantro. Okay. You've got a very specific go-to order. <laughs> I like it. Uh, what's your favorite local charity? Uh, UUSM is the one I actively give to. Um, I used to give to KQED, the public radio station. Mm -hmm. But I'm still thinking about it. Okay. Good question. Okay. Who has been the best Supreme Court justice? I'm probably influenced by your pictures here, but I'm going to go with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Good choice. <laughs> um, what's the best religion? Best religion for me is Unitarian Universalism. Um, Buddhism has a lot going for it, though, except it's an awful lot of work. So... Mm. Um, yeah, you use the best one for me. For me too. Thanks, David. Thank you. I so appreciate you taking the time to talk to me for the UUSM uh, Connections podcast. It was really fun. Uh, I love that we're using microphones for the first <laughs> time ever. We'll see if anybody can tell the difference in the sound. Um, but it was that was fun putting all that together, and that was a suggestion from you. So thank you. And of course, thanks to our listeners. Please take a minute to rate and review us on your podcast app and keep making connections. <laughs>